you have your Bibles, take and take them and turn to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. And look on the back side of your sermon outline for particular passages from this 17th chapter that we are going to give attention to today. The other day I was speaking with one of you, and we were talking about our lives. And as we were talking, you said to me, John, can I pray for you? And I said, sure, I'd be delighted if you would pray for me. And I figured they would write my name down in their prayer list and their devotionals. And instead, what you did was you folded your hands and you bowed your head in a loud voice with other people around You started to pray for me. And it was wonderful. And I had this sense that that's what the church of Jesus Christ should do when they get together. You interceded for me. God heard my name from someone other than me for a change. And I was so blessed. We come in the 17th chapter of John's Gospel to what is called the great intercession, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus for His people. And as fantastic as it is that one of you prayed for me, and don't stop doing that, for the next ten weeks, we are going to study through this amazing prayer of Jesus Christ in the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. And you will recall that in John's uh, Gospel, the public ministry of Jesus is very powerful up through the end of chapter 12, and then suddenly it's not a public ministry anymore, and John records three chapters of what they call the, the, the private discourse of Jesus with His disciples. And He talks with them in such intimate ways, and He comforts them, and He promises them His Holy Spirit, and He says, my peace I'm going to give you, and, and He does give them His peace. And then suddenly, the beginning of chapter 17, and it says, Jesus lifted His eyes toward heaven. That's like He closed His eyes and folded His hands. That's an indication that He began to pray. And he says, Father, and our great high priest prays about his own person and work and what it means for these, his disciples around them. And then he prays for them, and then he prays for those who hear the message through them. He prays for us. And we eavesdrop in on Jesus. What we have here is a hint of what we read about and sang about earlier, what is described in the book of Romans, Romans 8.34, that we read, that says, Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, who is also interceding for us. Okay? Do you know that? Right now, 
Hebrews 7.25, one of the first verses I memorized in Scripture as a young Christian. It says, I love this verse, Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. So we're going to take this prayer apart that teaches us much about His intercession. And I pray that you're going to love Jesus Christ ten weeks from now, even more than you do now. And you're going to understand who He is and what He's done ten weeks from now, even more than you do now. So come every week. Tell your friends, come and learn about Jesus. And those that maybe haven't been here for a while, say, come and learn about Jesus. On the back of your sermon outline, a few passages from this great, and the first great theme is the theme of glory. The theme of glory, the glory of God. Starting at the beginning of John's gospel, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And at the end of his public ministry, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he's honest. Jesus is honest. Here, look at the next passage, verses 27 through 29 of chapter 12. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And now the first verse of this prayer, John 17, 1. Listen to this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. So far, the reading of God's Word, what I think you can see now that is unmistakable in this prayer is that as Jesus thinks about who He is, as He thinks about what He came to do, and as He thinks about His past, and as He thinks about His future, and as He thinks about His disciples that are eavesdropping in on His prayer, and we who now read it centuries later... What he's thinking about is the glory of God. We shouldn't be surprised. In the book of Hebrews, at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The Son of God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. And so the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. What is glory? 
What is it? It's a real nice religious word, isn't it? It's all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. And there are two basic words, one in Hebrew, one in Greek, that inform what we are to understand by the word glory. Uh, I, when I was a new Christian, I heard R.C. Sproul teach about these two words. I'll never forget it. The Hebrew word kabod. It means weight, weighty, significant. That when you speak of the glory of God, you are speaking and saying, wow, that's heavy. <laughs> that is significant. That matters. That, that is impressive to me. And then when the Greeks translated the Hebrew into Greek, and, when they, uh, and even when they used the word for glory in their language, they used the word doxa. And that's the same root that we get the word doxology from. Have you ever heard the word doxology? It means praise words. And this word speaks of that which is impressive. When you, when you study the lexicons on this, this doxa, it means that whenever an ancient Greek saw someone who was significant, saw someone who was strong, saw someone who was beautiful, Whenever they saw someone who was wealthy or impressive, they would speak of them and attribute to them doxa, or the ancient Hebrew, the kabod. They are significant. And we do that today, and we give people glory. Whenever a, a, a chef cooks a great meal, and you're done, and they used, that meal was praiseworthy. You say, wow. What do you do? You, 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 you give honor to the chef. You give him doxa. We will soon see the home run contest at the All-Star Game. I remember taking Andrew to that down in Philadelphia, and I tell you, it's one of the most magnificent displays of athleticism you'll ever see. Hardest thing in the world is to hit a baseball that's coming at you at 80 miles an hour. And when the winner of that home run competition does something that I could never do, I am impressed. And in that sense, and, the, and in the book of Proverbs, other places, there is a legitimate way to honor another human being. We would speak of their doxa. I read this week about a man you have probably never heard of, but he has saved more earthly lives than any other human who ever lived. His name was Norman Borlong, and he lived in Iowa. He was a scientist, and he discovered and arranged uh, a genetic mutation in the rice plant that has caused rice to grow in drought and to be resistant to all kinds of diseases. And since the time of his life, especially across Africa and Asia, death by starvation has plummeted just because of his scientific works. Now there is a great prize, the World Food Prize, every year that's given to those scientists that are expanding the, the food productivity around the world. And I read about Norman Borlong. Nobody's ever heard of him. He died recently. He passed away uh, insignificantly, but my heart wanted to give doxa to him, 
to attribute significance to what He has done. And so when we speak of the glory of God or the glory of Christ, we take it now exponentially. And we're talking about His magnificence, His greatness, His significance, His fame, His beauty, His majesty. Who can stand next to His majesty? And you'll notice that even when Jesus was born, even when He was born, there was glory. When you think about Christmas, what do you think about? Cookies, Christmas cookies, presents, lights, little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a cattle stall. But if you just start with a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a cattle stall, you are doing a disservice to the gospel. Because Jesus tells us that he says uh, in 17.5, he says, you know, I came from glory. He says, I'm going back to glory. But note, did you, did you catch that? He says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so when we read the Christmas story, the narratives, it says that the shepherds uh, were out in the field and suddenly, what happened? The angels pulled back the veil of heaven and the glory of the Lord shone around them just for a brief moment as Christ is veiling His glory and He does veil His glory, but it can't be held back completely and His glory shines at His birth. Jesus is affirming His pre-existent deity. Never forget that at His birth He came in glory. And then, look at his life, point number two. Jesus desires to glorify his Father. And I love this in verse four. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, we're going to take a whole week just on that particular verse. But I want to ask you, what is so attractive about the life of Jesus? If you're here today, I trust that the reason you're here is because you are attracted to Jesus. You've been attracted to Jesus. You've read His life story here on earth, and and you've wondered at how fantastic He is. And what we have come to see is that Jesus lived before an audience of one. Didn't we see that a few weeks ago? He lived before an audience of one. It wasn't the opinions of men that mattered to Him, but the glory of the Father He says, I glorified you here on earth. I remember as a young Christian, again, reading for the first time John 6, 38. The Bible was new to me. I felt pretty good about myself, you know. I was a respectable sinner. I, I never robbed a bank, and I was kind to puppies. So I thought maybe I measured up fairly well, relatively speaking. Reading through the Bible, and I come to John 6.38, where Jesus said, For I came down from heaven. Notice, He teaches us there what we just learned in the first point. He came from heaven. 
He came from glory. And then he says, For I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And I'll tell you, as I read that verse, it was like the Holy Spirit just sort of took my eyeballs and turned them onto my own heart. And he said, John, do you know how little you live for God's will? And I thought to myself, all I ever do is live for my will. And I'll be honest with you, I burst into tears. How far short of the glory of God was my life. But Jesus, oh, but Jesus. He said, for I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, how he loved to do the will of God. And here in this prayer, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do, and he prays that in this hour, this is a significant hour, this is the hinge of history, this is the moment when the world will be forever changed as Christ is headed to the cross. And in this hour, Jesus prays that his obedience will bring glory to God. Now, some of you are here saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What Jesus did next was inglorious, was dishonoring. Didn't he get beat up? Didn't he get spit on? Wasn't he just left alone? And wasn't he nailed to a cross? Doesn't it say in the book of Deuteronomy, cursed is anyone who sits on a tree? What do you mean glorify me and glorify you? What? could he be talking about? And yet, do you know the answer? Do you know the answer? Because something glorious was about to happen. Something weighty, kabod, weighty, is about to happen. Something significant is about to happen. What is it? It is that there on the cross, the great exchange takes place. There on the cross, your sins, my sins are placed on Him. And His righteousness, His obedience, His holiness is imputed to me, to you, His people. This, is this not the most significant, meaningful, wonderful, beautiful Kabod and doxa thing that could ever happen. What is more significant than this? Jesus knew that the wrath of God must punish sin. Do you know that? It must. And so Jesus comes and interposes himself between us and God and takes that wrath upon himself. So that Paul exults, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news, isn't it? You see, that's our hope. That's Pat's hope. She knows that Jesus came for her husband and for herself. Is that your hope? Is that your hope? Isaiah 44, 23 for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Redemption is glorious. 
I love these words by Bob Coughlin. We could sing so many songs today, but we sing this, this song, Oh, the Glory of the Cross. And listen to these words. What righteousness was there revealed that sets the guilty free, that justifies ungodly men and calls the filthy clean, a righteousness that proved to all your justice has been met, and holy wrath is satisfied through one atoning death. Kabod, doxa. Do you feel the weight and sense the glory of God's perfect justice being satisfied and God's love being given to you, poor sinner that you are, His love given to you as Jesus goes to the cross? Point number three is this. Jesus knew He was headed for glory. The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Glorify me in your own presence. And so we learn here that Jesus, yes, died on the cross for you because He loves you, but He also did it because He knew His destiny. He knew His destiny. And His destiny was the glory of the Father back in heaven where He was before that first Christmas morning. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Could death hold him? Death could not hold him. On the third day, he rose again from the dead according to the Scriptures. He rose again, not just our Lord. Jesus is not just your Lord. Who is he? He is your risen Lord. The first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, Paul says. How do you know that you will rise from the dead? How do we know that Rudy will rise from the dead? We know because Jesus rose from the dead. And he not only rose from the dead, but what happened at the end, at the beginning of the book of Acts? We read, he ascended into heaven. And that ascension of Christ placed him at the right hand of God the Father. And we are taught in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation what happened upon the ascension of Jesus into heaven. We are told John is looking and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And when no one else is able to take the scroll and open its seals, and John says, I wept and wept, suddenly the angel taps him on the shoulder and says, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. And I looked and I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. He came and took the scroll. And suddenly, what happens in heaven? Do you recall? It says that all of heaven erupts into a new song. And they sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to open the scroll and to take its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And in a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and, what's the next word? Glory 
and praise. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. I love to read the sermons of Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. You can go online and, oh, what a way he has with words. And Charles Spurgeon writes about the ascension of Jesus Christ. And I love this phrase. He says, we see that the hand which was pierced by the nail on the cross now holds the scepter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Glory. Glory to Jesus Christ. And somehow, in the midst of all this, you are connected to it. And as Jesus prays, he says that we who are his disciples are actually a part of his glorification. He says that in his prayer, can you believe this? We bring him glory. John 17, 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And it is the echo of John 15, verse 8, where Jesus said, By this is my Father glorified, you disciples, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. How do you do this? How do you glorify Him? Well, at least two ways. Think about this. You glorify Him with your voice in private worship and in public worship. You join in the angels. And you let your voice reflect your heart to give God glory. I tell you, Christians, we underestimate the importance of this. You underestimate the importance of praising God. You really do. Parents, have your children ever said, do I have to go to church? Have they ever said that? What do you you say to your child when they say, do I have to go to church? Here's what you say to them. You say, no. You get to go to church. What's the difference? You have the privilege of coming and joining in the worship of God and His people and lending your voice and your heart to the praise of God. You have the privilege of joining with all of heaven at the center of the universe that is expanding outward in concentric circles all the way from the center of the throne of God to Long Island. You get to go to church and worship the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 3. Come, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. So I give you uh, some homework this week. Your homework assignment is every day to have a time of personal worship where you actually praise the Lord. Do it in your car, roll up the windows, turn on K-Love, and sing along. I don't want you to listen to the teaching on family radio, but if you like the old hymns, you can tune in to that and, and sing along. Or you're, download on your iPad or watch on YouTube, but sing along in your own private worship, and then be here on the Lord's Day every week 
The sermon is so important. Yes, 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 I think so. But no less important is you lending your voice to the praises of the King of Kings. And then, how do you glorify Him? Jesus said, you glorify Him with the activities of your life. 1 Corinthians 10.31, have you memorized this verse? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Isaiah 43.7 teaches something extraordinary. God says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called my, by my name, whom I created for my glory. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I want you to remember that you were created for the glory of God. Your very existence. You say, me? I'm not Kabod. I'm not Doxa. Who am I? Don't diminish the Word of God that says you were created for His glory. So here's your second homework assignment. It's this. Dedicate your job to God. Dedicate your family to God. Dedicate your marriage to God. Dedicate your children to God. And if you are single, dedicate your life to God. John Piper says you are in the most exalted position if you are single because you're not so distracted in this world with all the hassles of family life. And so you, especially if you are single, dedicate yourself to the glory of God. Are you with me? What have we seen? Jesus came into this world in glory. Jesus desired His Father's glory. Jesus knew He was headed for glory. And you must desire God's glory. And then finally, finally, Jesus tells us at the very end of the prayer, verse 24, we're peeking to the end, and Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. You are destined for glory. And heaven will be a wonderful place. We sing a song around here. No eye has seen and no ear has heard. We're quoting from 1 Corinthians 2.9. The glorious things that you have prepared for everyone who has believed. And those members of our church who have gone ahead of us, just in the past few years, Ed Kaiser... Steve Rettegi, Marion Reiners, now our dear friend Rudy. They have begun their time in glory. It has begun. And we, we will follow and we will inhale what the prophets of old called the Shekinah glory of God, the very atmosphere of heaven, the very reality of God in His creatures, glorified in Him. That's your destiny in heaven, yours, you who belong to Jesus. So, will you celebrate His glory? You know, we have a radio broadcast here on WMCA every Tuesday night at 
And we wrestled, well, what should we call that radio broadcast? We spend a lot of your money on it. You know what the broadcast is called? It's called Celebrate His Glory. I'm so glad we chose that name because if there is one message that we as a church can speak to the metropolitan New York area, that we can speak to all of Long Island, what could be better than inviting them and summoning the listeners to celebrate His glory with the people of the North Shore Community Church? Maybe today you're saying, my heart has become indifferent to the glory of God. Could that happen? It does happen. My heart is cold. My eyes are dry. My spirit is hard. Well, if that's the case, then today's a good day for you. It's a good day, I'll tell you why. Because this is a day for you to be refreshed and to dedicate yourself again to live for His glory, with the glory that Jesus has given to you. Will you do that? We come now to the Lord's Supper. And this is for the disciples of Jesus. This is not church light. This is for those baptized members of the church of Christ. It doesn't have to be our church, but of some church of Christ. And you come, and you let Him warm your heart, soften your heart, inspire your heart to celebrate His glory. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we say glory to the risen King, glory to Jesus. And we ask that even now you would show us how far short we fall of our glo- from this glory. And we pray that you, O oh Lord, would do what we can't do for ourselves. Show us your kabod, your weight, your significance. Show us your doxa, your majesty, splendor and beauty, holiness and justice, compassion and mercy. Show yourself to us, we pray. In Jesus' name.